Welcome, everyone, to episode number two of the Flannel Panel Conjugate Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Surratt, and on today's episode, we're going to be taking a deeper dive into the conjugate method. So last episode, we talked a little bit about what the conjugate method is and the uh, the three, I guess, sub-methods that make up the conjugate method, and that would be the max effort, the dynamic effort, and the repetition effort methods. Um, and so today, I'd like to take a little more time and really focus on each one of those individually um, and really try to create a clearer picture of not just what they are, but why you would use them and how you would use them and how you might use them in different scenarios. Um, so without further ado, let's just jump right into it. So um, the conjugate method as a whole, like we talked about, is made up of three different sub-methods, the maximum effort method, the dynamic effort method, and the repetition effort method. And we talked a little bit about these last episode, um, but we didn't really get as nuanced with it as I was as I would like, um, and so that's what we're going to do today. So the max effort method, really very simple, is picking a picking a variation of either the squat, the bench, or the deadlift. And now that's for powerlifting. You can utilize the conjugate method with weightlifting, power, uh, CrossFit, strongman. So let me rephrase that. The maximum effort method is picking an exercise or a movement, whether it's a squat, a bench, a deadlift, or a clean variation, or you know, let's say you're doing like a log press if you're a strongman. Um, so it's picking a variation of a movement and working up to a one rep max within that variation. So again, it can be any movement you want. I mean, I wouldn't do like a one rep curl or anything like that, but pick a compound movement, pick a compound variation and work up to a one rep max in that variation. And that's your, that's your max effort method. Now, a lot of people or some people will go into like the two, three, four, and even five rep max categories with the max effort work. And while I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with that, um, it's just that when you start getting into the multiple rep set or multiple rep schemes, um, you start working on what's called strength endurance rather than your maximal strength. And in my opinion, um, if you're going to work strength endurance, it should be developed through like a secondary or tertiary accessory exercise, not as your main work. So in my opinion, as both a powerlifter and a coach and as a powerlifting coach, um, your max effort method should always be limited to a one rep max. Um, there are definitely situations in which you could utilize strength endurance, but um, again, I would always err on the side of using a one rep max as your max effort method. So that's what the max effort method is. It's very simple. Pick something heavy, work up to the heaviest weight you can. That's that. Um, but how do you how do you go about periodizing that? How do you go about choosing the best exercise? What's your exercise selection look like? What does your rotation of movements look like? How do you move from general to specific if you need to move from general to, to specific? Um, and that's really what I wanted to talk about in this episode was the, the different factors that go into um, the development of each one of these sub-methods. So let's talk about exercise selection with the max effort method. Now, if you follow conjugate in any way, shape, or form, or if you follow Westside Barbell or Louis Simmons... Um, or if you've run conjugate yourself, you've probably run into some pretty crazy variations. You know, I've seen stuff like, you know, bully cambered bar, box squat with bands pulling from the front versus chains. 
And you know, at the end of the day, if you can justify why you're doing something and you can, you know, you don't have to defend it, but at least to yourself, if you can justify why you're doing all those different variables, then great. Um, as both a power lifter and a strength and conditioning coach, I tend to err on the side of being a little more simplistic. Um, I think that there's definitely a place for some exotic variations. Um, but overall, I like to keep things as simple and basic as possible because I'm of the opinion that simple works and simple has always worked. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, just as an example, with my throwers, um, who are kind of my guinea pigs when it comes to developing my conjugate methodology um, and my coaching philosophy surrounding conjugate, mainly because they can handle just about anything I throw at them. We did a variation one day on the squat where we did what's called, or what I call ascending band tension. So essentially you work up to like an RPE of six or seven straight weight, and then you start adding band tension until you work up to a one rep max. So in theory, it sounds great. And as a power lifter, I've done it myself and it's very challenging, but it's very effective. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's difficult, but it's fun. If your idea of fun is masochistic. Um, but anyway, uh, so some of my throwers could handle it. Others were not ready for how much I was asking them to do. And we had a couple situations in which the bar literally, literally slingshotted off an athlete's back because there was so much band tension and they just couldn't hold it. Um, and I knew then that I had made a mistake and that that was a variation that I would never do again, at least not with my, my, uh, athletes, maybe as a power lifter, but probably not even then. So, um, so with exercise selection, I think it's really important just to keep things simple, you know, find what works for you, find the things that you respond best to and go with those or conversely, or perhaps end conversely, find the things that you suck at and do those. So if you are really good at a straight weight, straight bar, box squat, maybe you don't do those as often, unless you're in a meat prep phase or you're moving from general to specific training and all that kind of stuff. We can talk about that more. You know, so like, let's say you suck at, let's pick a bar that everybody sucks at, like the Cambridge bar. A lot of people are not very good on the Cambridge bar, whether it's like the the bully Cambridge bar from Westside or the rackable Cambridge bar that you can get from somewhere like Elite FTS. A lot of people have a lot of trouble with that bar because of how it's designed and the way that the weight sits and the way that the weight moves as you squat. So if you're bad at that movement, again, depending on where you are within your cycle, within your training cycle or your meat prep or your competition prep, whatever you want to call it, maybe do more more of that bar um, in order to shore up those weaknesses so that when it comes time to move into your more specific prep phase, you've addressed and attacked the weaknesses or the limitations that were holding you back, which you can then apply to hopefully and ideally furthered and continued success in your in the lifts in which you're better at. So again, if you suck at the camber bar, do more camber bar. So that when it comes time to be under the straight bar, you've grown stronger and you've shored up weaknesses that you might've had, and you can be more successful under the straight bar. Um, but yeah, keep it simple. And 
I think it's important to think about how often you rotate through a selection of movements. Um, so this is something that as a strength and conditioning coach, I'm very guilty of is picking too many different variations over the course of a semester or over the course of a year and not allowing myself or my athletes or my programming, I guess, time to come back around and retest those variations. Because that's what you, that's really what you should be doing is establishing maxes and these different variations, but then allowing yourself time, whether it's over, you know, an annual cycle. I mean, shit, if you're a, an Olympic lifter, you know, maybe even over a quadrennial cycle, you know, but allow yourself the opportunity to come back around to those variations and retest them because that's how you measure progress. Like, yes, you can, you know, you can absolutely measure progress. Like, let's say, you know, so for me, I've squatted 905 with a straight bar, but I've squatted 915 against the safety squat bar. So obviously I got stronger, you know, within that time frame between those two lifts, or maybe I just got lucky, you know, but, um, but you want to be able to measure your continued progress and your continued success. And the only way to effectively really do that is to keep track of the maxes that you've set and then come back around and test them. So I would say that as a strength and conditioning coach, you should probably limit yourself to like maybe six variations. You know, let's say if we're talking squat and deadlift, you know, as we're talking max effort lower right now, you know, maybe you pick three squat variations and three deadlift variations, you know, so like you could do straight bar, safety squat bar, camber bar, and then you could do straight weight, deadlift, sumo, straight weight, deadlift, conventional, and then like a rack pull. So those are very, very simple examples. And you can obviously get far more complicated with it if you want. And like, you know, you can, you can throw bands and chains on each one of those variations and you can test those, you know? So the, the, the possibilities are really endless as far as what variation you could try. But again, I think it's important that you limit yourself to a handful of different variations that you can come back around and test again. Um, but it's very, very easy because it's fun. It's fun to throw new shit at people, you know, like with my athletes, like if anybody listening is a strength and conditioning coach, you might know how difficult it can be sometimes to, uh, get kids to buy into what you're asking them to do, you know, and like you always have those athletes who are gung ho about the weight room and understand that success in the weight room often translate to translates to success on the field or in the ring or on the track or on the court, whatever, um, and those kids are great to have around, you know, but then you're going to have those kids as well who hate the weight room and are there only because they have to be. And, you know, as a strength and conditioning coach, you have to sort of walk that fine line between doing your job and taking care of those kids, but not giving them so much attention that they detract from the kids who really want to be there. And that's a personal choice, you know, how, how much energy and time you invest into those kids who don't want to be there. But what I'm getting at is that if you can keep things fresh and exciting, you might drive a higher degree of buy-in and adherence to your program than you might get otherwise. You know, if you do nothing but straight bar squats and cleans the whole time, you know, which there's nothing wrong with inherently, but, you know, it gets boring. You know, I know that as a strength athlete myself, before I found Conjugate, like I ran 531, which I think is a fantastic program. You know, it's I mean, it's basically a foolproof template to get people stronger. Um, but for me, I needed more variation, you know, just the squat, the bench, the deadlift and the overhead press did it for me for a while. But after, you know, X amount of time I got bored and I needed something different. Um, so I think it's, it's good to have, 
you know, a variety of exercises in your menu, you know, of movements, but not to go over the top with it. Because again, if you have too many variations, you're never going to get it back around to test them. And you may think that you will, but you won't because, you know, let's say, you know, so let's look at my throwers, you know, they compete in the fall and in the spring, you know, and so we have a prep, a prep phase and we have a competition phase in both semesters because we have outdoor and indoor track. You know, and so you think you have all this time as a strength coach. And so you, you know, program your shit out weekly and all of a sudden like you're, you know, neck deep in the semester and the kids are in their, you know, their conference competition. And it's like, well, I'm not going to test this variation that we haven't done in eight weeks, you know, when we're right here at this, you know, at this very important competition, you know, so, um, so it's important that you limit your selection to things that you know you're going to be able to do again. Um, and that, that's the same thing for, you know, for your max effort upper, if you're, you know, doing like a bench press or a floor press or an overhead press variation, again, you know, with the, with the presses, it's a little bit easier because there's only, you only do one press. There's not a squat and a deadlift, you know, so you don't have to worry about variations for each one of those, but you know, there's variations for the overhead press for the, uh, bench press for the floor press. You know, do you want to run bands? Do you want to run chains? Do you want to have a pause, close grip, wide grip, board, you know, board presses, foam presses, reverse, reverse band, reverse grip, you know, there's all kinds of shit that you can roll with it, you know? So again, be selective and intentional with your exercise selection so that you're getting the most bang for your buck and you're getting the most return on your investment of time and energy. So now that I've rambled on about that, um, I think it's important that we talk about sort of moving from like a general phase to a specific phase. And so what I mean by that is like, so let's talk powerlifting. So powerlifting is the sport or a hobby, depending on how you look at it, in which participants compete in the squat, the bench, and the deadlift. So those are your three competition-specific movements. And as you go through a meat prep phase or a meat prep cycle, you know, regardless of what sort of periodization you run, whether it's five through one, block, linear, daily undulating, vertical integration, conjugate, whatever sort of methodology you choose to use. The idea is basically the same, that you move from a general prep phase in which you develop GPP, you develop, you know, general strength, you know, maybe some hypertrophy, and then you translate that into competition-specific movements. Um, So I think, again, in terms of powerlifting, it's very important that when you run the conjugate method, you really think about what you're doing and you don't just pick variations for the sake of picking variations. You know, if if you're 16 weeks out, you know, from your competition... That's the time to get crazy with your variations if you want to. If you're that type of lifter who wants to do some crazy stuff, you know, the the giant bully camber bar with forward bands versus chains to a box. You know, that's the time to do that kind of stuff. Because you're in your gen, you're you are in your general prep phase and everything that you're doing is just general work. You're just getting stronger in general. Um as you get closer to your competition, as you get closer to your meet, that's when you start including things that are more specific. So maybe you step away from the crazy exotic variations and you start saying, okay, like I can still use these bars. I can still use the the bully camber bar, the rackable camber bar, the safety squat bar, the duffalo bar. You know, I can still pull from blocks, you know, but I'm going to start getting a little more specific to the competition, to the demands of the competition that I might otherwise. You know, so so Louis talks a lot about, you know, like the mathematics of um, of lifting, and, you know, that lifting is science and it really is, um, 
you know, and a lot of that has to do with tracking of stuff. And I'm really bad at it as a powerlifter. I'm really bad at like tracking my lifts, you know, thank God for Instagram because I don't keep a log. I don't write shit down. You know, I just look back and say, okay, this is what I hit on this variation. So I got to try to beat that. Um, you know, and that's one shortfall of mine as a lifter. Um, but again, it's important to move from general to specific and know how to get there, you know? So, so let's just think in terms of just bars and not even touch on bands and chains and blocks and all that kind of stuff. So let's just stick with the squat. Okay. So let's say I'm, you know, four weeks out or 16 weeks out, excuse me. You know, I could run, let's just keep it super simple. So I could run four, four week blocks. I could run like, let's say I'm really bad at the camber bar. So I'd run the camber bar first, run that for four weeks. And again, this is just a very, very broad strokes generalization. You know, there's way more to it um, that we could talk about, but I don't want to get into all of that right now. Um, so I could run the camber bar for four weeks and then, you know, attack the weaknesses that are exposed there through the dynamic and through the repetition effort method. And then let's say I'm, you know, I'm better with the safety squat bar. So I move to the safety squat bar. And that's going to address certain weaknesses that I might have. And then I'm going to attack other weaknesses that, again, are highlighted through the utilization of that bar via the repetition effort method and my secondary and tertiary tertiary accessory exercises. And then let's say I'm getting closer to my competition. Now I'm eight weeks out. So let's say I run with the duffalo bar because it's close enough to a straight bar that it simulates the way that the weight is going to sit on your shoulders and the length of your spine but it's probably not going to jack your shoulders up the same way that a straight bar might, especially in conjunction with some heavy benching. So I run the duffalo bar for four weeks, and then I get into my my, my, my real peaking phase where I run the straight bar. Um, so I've moved from general work to very specific work. And again, within the, within the, the constraints with the constructs of each one of those four-week blocks, um, there's a whole host of things that you can do. And that's not even including the deadlift. You know, you could run bands and chains. You could do pauses. You could do free squats. You could do box squats. You could do, you know, Anderson squats. You could do raw. You know, you could do briefs only or, you know, briefs and suits strapped down, no sleep. You know, there's a thousand different variations that you can throw at yourself, you know, to make things, you know, general or to keep things fresh. But again, it's important that you have a plan because that's really what periodization is. It's just a plan of how do I get from point A to point B? What do I need to do to get to where I want to be? You know, um, so it's really important that you have that, that plan. Um, in the world of strength and conditioning, I think it's a little bit different because everything that we do in the weight room is general work. Nothing that we do in the weight room, at least as far as I'm concerned and the way that I program and the way I coach, nothing that we do is going to be sports-specific. Unless your sport is jumping, and by that I mean we jump on boxes and we do different sort of jump variations. If you're a jumper, then okay, sure, you know, you might be getting some sport-specific work, but it's more of like a special exercise than like actual sport-specific. Um, so I think the idea of moving from general to specific within the context of strength and conditioning is a little bit different. Um, I think where you could you could really sort of focus or narrow that in is that you could, you know, identify some KPIs, some key performance indicators and establish a baseline with those. So let's say, let's just say as an example, my KPIs for my throwers are going to be my squat, my bench and my deadlift. Okay. So straight bar, straight weight, all that kind of stuff, you know, very simple, you know, so I establish a baseline so that I know where we're at. 
But then as we're in our general prep phase where we don't have any competitions coming up or a ways out from our first competition, we can utilize things like the safety squat bar or the trap bar, or we can pull against bands or we can squat against chains or we can squat from the pins. We could do, you know, a whole host of stuff um, that's very general work, you know, that's going to build that general maximal strength base because we're still operating within the confines, within the parameters of the maximum, maximum effort method. Um, we're just doing so in a very generalized way, but as we start approaching our competitive season, maybe we revisit, we revisit, excuse me, those KPIs, you know, and a KPI can be something like a broad jump or a vert jump. It doesn't have to be, you know, a max effort movement, but again, we're talking about the maximal effort method. So that's what we're going to identify. Um, so that's how you can move from general to specific within the weight room. You know, you can also think about, specificity of the weight room or of strength and condition in terms of energy systems and energy system training can be achieved within the weight room. It's just a little bit harder than like on the field, you know, so you can look at the amount of time in which you're um, accomplishing a task, you know, or how long you're going for a task, you know, like, let's say I want my, you know, my throwers to squat for, you know, five seconds. Okay. How many reps can you get done in five seconds? Probably not that many, but you know, we're going to attack a very specific energy system. You know, whereas like a cross country runner, for example, or a distance swimmer, you know, might engage in something that's a little more aerobic, you know, so a little bit more extended time, whether that's, you know, an increase in the reps or, you know, time under tension via tempos or stuff like that. So there is, there is the opportunity to move into sports specific work, but it's just, it's not as prevalent in the weight room as it might be like on the field. If you really want to get into sports specific training or energy system training, in my opinion, running or conditioning is the time to do it not the weight room everything everything that gets done in the weight room is general work um, so again you can move from very general work to specific kpis as you get deeper into your season um, you know and as you get into your season maybe you want to step away from utilizing heavy weight as your kpis you know like if again as a strength conditioning coach at the collegiate level you got to think about the the different factors or the different competing stressors, that's a good way to put it, the different competing stressors that your athletes are being exposed to and absorbing. Um, you know, you have class, you have relationships, you have life, you have diet and sleep, you have practice, you have competitions, you have weight training. You know, weight training usually tends to fall pretty low on the totem pole. Um, you know, so you got to be able to weigh and measure and value you know, what you're doing and see and make sure that you're paying attention to the impact that your training has on the kids in relation to what they're already doing. So again, maybe you want to stay away from, you know, testing, you know, their max effort squat, you know, maybe like they're at a point where they're getting ready for their conference championship and, you know, you don't feel comfortable putting them under a maximal load because they're beat up or because you want them fresh. And so you do like, you know, a vert or a broad jump, you know, jumping is a fantastic measure of power you know, because it's super simple. It's, you know, a straight jump, like not talking ballistic or shock method, but just a straight jump, whether it's a broad jump or a vert, very low impact on the body, you know, and very easy to recover from, you know, you hit two or three jumps and you're done and then you can go about your day. Um, you know, I tend to, I tend to favor continuing with the heavy work even through the season and into the conference season. Um, you know, last fall, I think last fall, um, I ran like a, 
a circa max peaking phase with my throwers before their conference championship and it worked really well. So I think that as long as you establish a baseline and establish, you know, a foundation of heavy work um, and continue with it, like you basically allow your athletes to adapt to that stressor and that stimulus, I think you'll be fine. But again, that's just a personal choice, you know, dependent upon the individual and the specific coach and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I think that covers it as far as the max effort method, at least for now. Um, again, we talked about what it is, picking a variation and working up to the heaviest weight that you can handle successfully for a single. We talked about periodization. So having a plan to get from point A to point B and understanding why you're doing the things that you're doing. We talked about the ideas behind exercise selection and why you should pick certain movements over others. Um, rotation of movements and then moving from general to specific in both a powerlifting and a strength and conditioning perspective or, you know, field. So um, if you have any questions, please feel free to hit me up on Instagram. Um, shameless plug, my personal Instagram is at Jimberjacked and my coaching page is at Flannel Panel Conjugate. So if you have any questions, please feel free to hit me up, DM me, follow, like, all that kind of stuff. And um, I'm not too big time to communicate with people or help people out. So moving on to the dynamic effort method. So again, what is it? It's just the moving of light weights fast. Work up to a weight or pick a weight at a certain percentage and then move it as fast as possible. Um, so the dynamic effort method basically runs along a three-week pendulum wave, meaning that you start at week one at a certain percentage, week two a certain percentage, and then week three at a certain percentage, and then you cycle back to the beginning. And then you start all over. So again, laying those out. So week one, you're at 50% bar weight plus 25% accommodating resistance. Now accommodating resistance is either bands or chains. And you're at 50% of your max on the bar. So 50% bar weight plus 25% of your max in either band tension or chain weight. And now we'll talk about, you know, utilizing bands versus utilizing chains in a little bit. Um, so week one is 50 plus 25, week two is 55 plus 25, and week three is 60% plus 25%. So you're looking at 75, 80, and 85% total intensity at the top of the movement, at least theoretically. Um, now there's always variations in band tension and chain loading and all that kind of stuff based on your height and your stance width and all that kind of stuff. But at least that's the general idea. Now with your three-week pendulum wave, your volume also tapers. So as your intensity increases, your volume decreases. So the way that I like to run it um, is typically week one, we run 12 by two for the squat and 10 by one on the deadlift. Week two, we run 10 by two on the squat and then 10 by one on the deadlift. And then week three, we run eight by two on the squat and eight by one on the deadlift. So even though conjugate is not inherently a linear periodization program or periodization method, there are definitely still aspects of linear periodization within it, which is funny because Louis talks a lot about why Western periodization or linear periodization doesn't work, but there are definitely aspects of it within his, within his method. Um, but again, it's all how you use it and how you apply stuff. So that's, that's the bare bones of the dynamic effort method. Um, so we talked about volume and intensity so now let's talk about exercise selection. Um, 
So exercise selection can get kind of tricky when it comes to the dynamic effort method because there's a couple different ways you can look at it. So what I have always done or what I've tended to do is to utilize my competition max as the base for my dynamic effort percentages. And so we talked about it last time. So let's say I have a 500-pound back squat. So for my week one, I would use 50% of... 500 pounds, which would be 250 pounds, plus 25% for the accommodated resistance, resistance, which would be 125 pounds, for a sum total of 375 pounds at the top of the rep for 12 sets of two. And then if I did the same thing for the deadlift 500-pound pull, it would be 10 sets of one at 375. So, um, so you can either use your competition max, which I think is a great idea. because, And the reason I say that is because you can utilize the dynamic effort days as a way to practice your craft and practice your technical skill because the weight should be challenging, but it should not be so heavy that it causes technical or form breakdown. You should not see technical flaws become apparent or become exposed while doing your dynamic effort work, even at the top of your pendulum wave, even at the, even at week three, 60% plus 25% accommodating resistance, you should not see technical flaws be exposed, in my opinion. So dynamic effort days are a fantastic way to, again, address your technical skill, address the sport-specific skill of squatting and benching. Now, I haven't talked about dynamic effort for the upper, for the upper days yet, but um, we'll touch on that real quick. So dynamic effort days for your upper body movements are a little bit different. Um, now, again, there's different ideas out there of how you should run stuff. There's different percentages. But what I like to do is I run nine sets of three. So this is just for the bench press. Okay, you can, you can do this for floor press. You can do it for overhead press. What, you know, insert variation here. Um, let's just talk bench press, though, to keep it simple. So bench press, I use three different grips, close, medium, and wide. Okay, so you do three sets of three reps at each one of those grips. Okay, at like 30 or 35% of your one rep max. And then plus, now you could say 25% band tension. I don't really know what that tension is, but I always use like a doubled mini band. So like if you get them from Elite FTS, they're the doubled red bands. Um, if you get them from Westside, I don't know what color they are, but um, but a doubled mini band. If you're stronger, you could use a doubled Monster Mini or shit, even a doubled light if you're that strong. Um, or you could use chain. So... Nine by three at 30 to 35% plus either band or chain for the squat. And then you do not, so you don't waive your intensity and your volume with your bench press. So if we're running along a three week wave, so let's just start from the top. Three week wave. Week one, squat 12 by two at 75% total intensity. 10 by, 10 by one on the deadlift at 75% total intensity. And then for the bench press, nine sets of three at 30 to 35% plus band or chain tension. And then weeks two and three, you can just add. You can go from there. You can extrapolate it based on what I've already said. So that's your dynamic effort days. Um, but again, going back to exercise selection, so you can use your competition max and your competition lifts in order to work on your technical skill, and which is definitely a great idea if you're approaching, if you're in like a specific phase, if you're approaching a competition. I would say like if we're squatting, I'd say either use the duffalo bar or the straight bar, depending upon how your shoulders feel and how much you're benching. Um, 
but if you're in like a general prep phase, you can definitely use like the safety squat bar or the cambered bar or the Mars bar or the giant bully camber bar, whatever bar you want to use. Um, you can pull from blocks, you can pull versus bands versus chains, you can pull from a deficit. So again, it really just comes down to where you're at and what you want to do and what you need to do. And as long as you understand why you're doing what you're doing, you'll be fine. Um, but again, it can get really confusing. You know, do I use, do I use the max of one of my, so like if I, let's say I want to use the safety squat bar, safety squat bar for my dynamic effort day for, for the next three weeks, do I base that off, you know, my competition straight bar max, or do I base that off my safety squat bar max? And the answer is you should always base it off the bar that you're using, you know, so you should establish with your max effort days, you should establish straight weight maxes for each bar that you have at your disposal. That way, whenever you utilize that specific bar within the context of your dynamic effort days, you have a max to build off or you have a max to calculate your percentages off. So if you don't have a safety squat bar max, you're going to either estimate, which is going to not train optimally. You're either going to be training minimally or maximally. And Louie always talks about training optimally. So you're not going to be hitting your target zones or your target percentages, or you're going to be basing you know, your work off of a max that's for a different bar, which isn't even going to translate over to what you're doing. Maybe close, like this, the straight bar and the duffalo bar might be close, but they're not going to be the same. They're not the same. They're not the same bar. They're not the same movement. The load is not distributed equally. And then especially like from a straight bar to a safety squat bar or a, you know, a giant bully camber bar, like it's totally different, you know, loading profile, you know, the way that the bar sits on your shoulders and the way that the, the weight hangs off your body, like it's a totally different feel. You know, so you can't you can't compare those two. You can't use your straight bar max to calculate a bully cambered bar dynamic effort wave. So going back to the max effort days, whatever bars you have at your disposal disposal, establish maxes for those those bars with straight weight. You know, keep all other things constant, and then you can move into variations from there. Um, so we've talked about what the dynamic method dynamic effort method is we've talked about periodization so the three-week pendulum waves for the squats the bench or the squat and the deadlift and then staying constant for the bench press Uh, we've talked about the volume and intensity Uh, we touched briefly on exercise selection Um, again so with exercise selection this is something that a friend of mine and i have been talking about and a couple other guys in our gym is like actually calculating the total tonnage or the total poundage whatever whatever nomenclature you want to use um tracking that total weight or total volume for all three weeks of a given bar and then organizing structuring your training in such a way that if you're in a meat prep phase you're moving from general to specific and so the idea being that you put your at least what we came up with the idea that we came up with is that you put your weakest bar the furthest out so say we're running three week waves let's say we have 12 weeks so that's four three-week wave cycles um, so let's say I'm really bad at the camber bar. I would put my camber bar the furthest out. So I'd be doing less work, but it's the least specific. And I'm going to be moving into a more specific context as I approach the meet. So let's say I move from uh, camber bar to safety squat bar. Okay. So we're getting a little more specific and we're getting a little more work done and we're keeping our GPP a little bit higher as we move towards the meat. And then we move into a duffalo bar. I'm even better at duffalo bar, so I'm getting more weight. Like my max on the duffalo bar is higher, theoretically, or hypothetically in this situation, than my safety squat bar or my camber bar maxes. So I'm getting more tonnage 
per cycle than I would be from the previous two bars. And then finally, I move into my straight bar. So not only have I moved from very general to very specific, I've also moved from the least tonnage moved to the most tonnage moved. So I'm at my strongest, theoretically, the closest to the meat. So I'm at my strongest when I want to be, not when I don't need to be or when I don't want to be. It does no good for you to be super strong 12 weeks out from the meat. You know, you need to be strong at the meet. You need to peak at the right time. So you just need to organize your training in such a way that it allows you to peak effectively and efficiently and produce results. Um, so that's a little bit about exercise selection there. Now, utilizing bands versus chains. Um, I think a lot of this comes down to personal preference. Um, I have found that bands are a more effective training tool than chains are because the load increases far more exponentially as you stand up and in a more abrupt way. So you have to teach your body to move as dynamically as possible. And that's the whole point of the dynamic effort method is to move a weight as dynamically and aggressively as possible. Um, I see a lot of lifters, um, and I'm guilty of it myself, who load far too much either accommodating resistance or far too much bar weight onto a bar for their dynamic effort days and it turns into strength work as opposed to speed work. Um, you know, maybe that has a place. We could talk about that more. It's more like strength speed, uh, but we could talk about that at a later date. But uh, um, so do you want to use bands versus chains? Again, it, it kind of comes down to where you're at. You know, I would always, I always rotate mine. So like if I'm programming for my athletes, we run a three-week band cycle and we run a three-week chain cycle. Um, I tend to keep the band tension relatively constant. I don't like to add tension. Um, we'll increase bar weight, but we won't increase band tension. Um, and simply for the reason that I want them to be able to move as aggressively as possible, especially as athletes, not as lifters, because most of them don't have the capacity or the mental fortitude to grind through multiple heavy reps like that. And anybody who squatted under heavy band tension knows that if you screw up, you're screwed and you got to beat that band pretty quick. Otherwise it's going to kick your ass. Um, bands will beat you up a little bit more in my opinion, just because, they're constantly pulling down on you. So like if you're at the very top of a rep, you can definitely, like we did, so as an example, we did a band, we did a dynamic effort day, I think last week where we, my training partner and I, we had a blue and a green band on top of the Mars bar with, you know, I have like three plates, he had like four and a half, but um, at the top of the rep, man, you can feel it because it's pulling you down. Like it is a far greater load on your body than chains are. Now that's not to say that chains aren't heavy, or that if you put 300, pound, 300 pounds of chain on the bar, that it's not going to feel heavy at the top because it sure as hell is. Um, but bands are going to beat your ass up. So if you're getting close to a, a meet, depending on how fresh you feel, you may run like a band wave, a chain wave, and then you run into like your circumax peaking wave and maybe you utilize you can utilize bands or chains for that. Um, and we'll talk about that at a different time. There's way too much to talk about circumax um, for the time that we have left in this episode. Um but yeah, so it just, again, it, it depends. Do I use bands? Do I use chains? How far out from am I from my meat? How well established are my kids? Can they handle band tension? Can they handle chains? You know, all those are things, all those are questions that you have to ask yourself and you have to be able to answer those questions. Um, so moving on, we're going to talk about the repetition effort method. So very simply put, repetition effort method is bodybuilding. So we've 
via the max effort method, we've addressed maximal strength. Via the dynamic effort method, we've addressed dynamic strength or explosive strength. And then with the repetition effort method, we're basically building up the musculature that is responsible for a given lift. So if I'm doing, you know, repetition effort for my max effort lower night, you know, so say I squatted, you know, my secondary movement may be, you know, like a rack pull, and I'm going to use that to build up some strength endurance. And then I'm going to use four to six, you know, smaller special exercises or accessories to help build up not just GPP, but also the musculature responsible for squatting. So like, so let's say I squat, I rack pull, and then I do RDLs, I do glute ham raises, I do reverse hypers, and then I do band leg curls. So I've attacked all components of the musculature necessary for, uh, for succeeding in a squat. And the same can be said for the deadlift and the bench press or whatever variation you're doing, you know, whatever movement you're training for. Um, the repetition effort method is just building up the musculature and the GPP of, you know, the limbs or the musculature that is responsible for executing a lift. Um, I still think it's important that, that you periodize the repetition effort. Um, Louie talks a lot about as you go into your like meet peak cycle, like as you're getting into your circumax phase that you keep the GPP high, you know, because, and I totally agree because even though the inclination is to lower the accessory work so that you can recover faster, you want to keep pushing that GPP as hard as you can, because the better in shape you are, and I'm power lifters, I'm talking to you, but also talking to athletes, the, the more in shape you are, the better shape you're in, the faster you're going to recover from stuff. And if we're talking, if we're talking strength and conditioning or sports performance, like we want to build a good GPP foundation so that athletes can go out and perform repeated bouts of maximal effort. So again, let's talk about my throwers. Throwers compete in the shot, the disc, the jab, and the hammer. You know, and let's say you get, I don't know, three throws per event, you know, and so let's say you're just a shot putter. You get three maximal effort throws but you still have to be able to recover from between or in between those bouts and the better shape you're in, the faster you can recover and the more resources you have at your disposal to apply to your maximal effort, um, effort, your maximal effort attempt is what I'm trying to say. So all that to say that you should still periodize your repetition effort work, but you shouldn't drop it off just because you're tired. You know, as you approach a meet, as you approach a competition, keep your GPP and your repetition effort work high so that you can keep your shape, so you can stay in shape, you can keep your shape good, if that's even a way of saying that. And keep your shape good. Um, <laughs> so you can stay in good shape, you can recover well, and like if we're talking powerlifting, you get nine attempts. You know, and depending on the size of the meet, if it's multiply, if it's raw, if it's mixed, you know, how many lifters are in your flight. If there's one flight, two flights, three flights, whatever, you may not have that much time to recover between attempts. And so the faster you can recover, the more quickly that you can get ready for your second attempt, the more successful you're going to be in the long run. Um, so as far as like volume and intensity goes, I feel like the repetition effort method is very individualized. What do you need and why do you need that work? Okay. Like if I'm brutally out of shape, I'm probably going to include more GPP work because I need to get in shape. If I'm not, if I'm in good shape, I might not throw as much in just because I individually and personally am lazy and I hate doing repetition effort stuff. I hate doing accessories. Um, so your volume and intensity is very individual as is your exercise selection. 
So, you know, Louie and other West Side lifters have talked about like everybody would hit the max effort movement for the night or everybody would hit the dynamic effort movements for the night and then they would all go their separate ways and do the things that they needed to do. And as a power lifter, you have that, you have that ability. You know, even if you train with a crew, which is what I do, like I have a crew of guys that I train with, but they go and do their thing and I go and do my thing. And now that's based on injuries, that's based on issues and what I like to do and what I don't like to do. And also what I feel is necessary. You know, I don't feel it's necessary to do certain things, so I don't do them. You know, I feel like I need certain things more, and so I go and I do those instead. Now, as a strength and conditioning coach, you are making that decision for your athletes. You are determining what they need. And the way that you do that is you can either, there's a couple different ways you can do it. You can either look at the max effort movement and say, okay, across the board, these issues were highlighted. So let's say across the board, we got rolled over in a squat. So we need more upper back work. Okay, so I'm going to include chest-supported rows, or I'm going to include a fuck ton of band pull-aparts, or TRX rows, or whatever. Um, or you can look at the demands of the sport. So again, with my throwers, like, okay, triceps throw, right? So if we're benching, we're going to attack our triceps. We're going to do pushdowns. We're going to do rollbacks. We're going to do tape presses. We're going to do push-ups. We're going to do dips if shoulders and elbows can handle them. Um, so there's a couple of different ways you can do it. You can either look at the the weaknesses that were exposed via the max effort movement, or you can look at it based on the demands of the sport. And I think the latter is the more appropriate way to go about it because if you go with the former and you say, okay, so-and-so got folded over, but so-and-so didn't, like you're creating a platform or you're creating a training menu that addresses certain issues, but doesn't address others. You know, so as a strength conditioning coach, you're kind of caught in this limbo area where it's like, am I, am I, programming enough where everybody's going to get something. And usually the answer is yes, because most humans and especially athletes are weak, like in the hips and the lower back and the core, more core, we need more core, um, upper back. Like, you know, I mean, just the whole backside of most athletes is weak as shit, you know, and like no one has ever complained about having too strong of a back, you know? Um, so, so yeah, you just have to, you have to look at your situation you have to determine what is the best solution to the problem that I have? You know, what, what most effectively addresses the need that I have within the context of my training and how do I go about executing the satisfaction of that need? And so we talked a little bit about um, powerlifting versus strength and conditioning already, so I won't touch on that. So that's it for today. Um, so we talked about the max effort method. We talked about the dynamic effort method. We talked about the repetition effort method, periodization for each one of those. I hope this has helped you guys out, um, a little bit to create a little bit better understanding of the, uh, the conjugate method. Again, please feel free, whether I know you or I don't, you know, please feel free to reach out. Um, again, personal Instagram pages at Jimber jacked, like the, like a lumberjack, but Jimber instead. And my professional coaching page is at flannel panel conjugate. So feel free to reach out, send me a DM, like, post, follow, subscribe, all that kind of good shit. Um, and as always, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Bye.